All right, welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stern. Things sound a little bit different this week. We are together in person, recording this live. Be a little bit better than the sound quality that you usually get. You know, when you're first starting out, kind of sounds like you're recording with a ham sandwich, but, you know, bear with us. We'll improve the sound quality as we go on. We're pretty much just two broke SoundCloud rappers recording out of our closet. But some of these broke SoundCloud rappers make it big, and with opinions like these, you never know. All right. So let's start with the big news this week. Quinn, no, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, James Harden, speculation on where he's potentially going to go. Clearly still pissed off that he has to report to the Rockets. Apparently he's not liking what he sees, even though he played with Wall in winter leagues. So first one, James Harden to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons. What do you think about that one? So I think that if you absolutely have to trade James Harden and there's no way that you can keep him, this is going to be the best trade that the Rockets are going to be able to get because I think that when you trade for Ben Simmons, you're going to get a player that is already an all-star. He's not yet 25, and he has tantalizing potential that he still hasn't reached, and it seems like Maybe the reason he won't be able to reach that full potential is because playing alongside Embiid is just a bad fit. So going to a team like the Rockets, where he could potentially be built around and be surrounded by shooters, I think that would do wonders for unlocking his game. I think that trading James Harden over to the Sixers would also be a good fit for them as well because I think that Joel Embiid, who has a basically thrived inside the paint, he basically wants to operate from the post would thrive from having a guy like James Harden to space the floor for him. Imagine having Embiid in a situation in the post where you can't possibly double-team him because you have a guy like James Harden on the outside spotting up. So I think for them, this is probably the best-case scenario. From the uh, Sixers' standpoint, makes absolute sense. Why would you not, to your point, want to have a guy like James Harden who has led the league in scoring the past several years, is an MVP, and is going to kill it with a big man like that that can pick and pop. I don't think the small ball lineup that D'Antonio is running was as successful as he theorized, but there were, I think he knew that was going to be his last season in Houston, so he's just kind of swinging for the fences. If I'm Houston, I have no idea why Houston would want this because they have Wall on their team now. Wall still has several years remaining on his contract. Wall, for his career, 32.4% from three. His most recent season where he was not injured was about 30.4% from three. So you're going to put Ben Simmons, who's thrown up, I think, less than 10 threes over the course of his entire career in the NBA on a team with a guy who historically doesn't shoot well from three. And on top of that, if Houston does go the route of selling off James Harden, they're going to have to get back some of that draft capital. So when you look for that, you're going to have to sell on P.J. Tucker. You're going to have to sell on anybody else on the team who is worth a damn. So they're not going to really be able to put shooters around this guy. So you're going to have two point guard style players who cannot put up a three in a league that is all about spacing the floor. So I have... Absolutely no idea why Houston would want to straight up trade James Harden for Ben Simmons. Well, I think that um, what it comes down to is Houston doesn't want to trade James Harden. And I think that they've already indicated that. 
I think that it's that they may not have a choice because it seems like James Harden is really forcing this issue. It doesn't seem like he's really willing to give this a chance. So I think from Houston's perspective, it's not that it's what they want to do, but it's just the best that they can do given the circumstances. And I think that if you trade for Ben Simmons, to your point, I think that that would be a terrible fit alongside John Wall. But I think that if you're the Rockets and you trade for Ben Simmons, you're doing that with the intention of retooling the roster. If John Wall ends up being anywhere close to what his all-star form was, I can see how they could flip him for different assets and be able to retool around Ben Simmons. And if you get a guy like Ben Simmons, you don't necessarily have to have the team ready to compete right now. He's still very young, and you have him locked down for a few more years, so that gives you time to retool around him and try to maximize his potential. But Ben Simmons is already making $30 million this year. So he's young, but he's already making max contract money. And you want your max contract player to be doing max contract things, which I don't think Ben Simmons is at this point. However, I agree. He's not. But I he might. I think this deal would work if they include third team. And hmm. the third team that I think they should include would be the Clippers. I think if they were to ship out the Clippers, Pat Bev, Lou Will, and a young player over to the Rockets so that they have two expiring vets that they can then flip at the deadline for more draft capital and then get a young player from the Clippers, then the Sixers can ship Ben Simmons over to the Clippers, have Houston send James Harden to the 76ers, and the 76ers can send Tyrese Maxey as well as some of their draft capital to the Rockets in order for Houston to let go of James Harden. I think that would be the best scenario. You can get Ben Simmons over to Kendall Jenner so he can go <laughs> and uh, live with her out in L.A. And maybe have Ben Simmons finally be mentored properly by LeBron. Also put him on a team that doesn't need him to shoot the three well and needs just defense and passing the ball to space the floor. So I think for L.A., it shows that they are in f- to win. They show Kawhi, hey, we're going to put superstars around you. For Ben Simmons, he gets that older mentorship out of PG, Kawhi, and potentially LeBron. And James Harden, we've already talked about, because LeBron lives in L.A. So LeBron can still have Ben Simmons at one of his two houses and have him over and play basketball with Bronny. But uh, you get James Harden over to the 76ers for all the reasons that we already talked about. I think it's just a win-win-win for all three parties. But what do the Rockets get out of this? Young players, their draft capital back. Which young player? Maxi? They can get Maxi. They can get uh, They're going to trade Maxi for Harden and Zubak. Are you serious? I would much rather have Simmons. If you have a disgruntled superstar and you need to pair your current roster with anybody, it's not Simmons. Maybe it's somebody else in the league, but it is not Simmons. Right, but if you're Houston, you're basically looking at, I can either have Ben Simmons or I can have Tyrese Maxey and Zubak. I think it's a no-brainer. I think that they would probably rather have Simmons. And several draft picks <laughs> that they don't have anymore because they got fleeced by Sam Presti and Fun. But you know that draft picks from those teams aren't going to be worth anything. Those are contenders. It still doesn't give you the ability to replace your star with another one. Tyrese Maxey's not guaranteed to be anything. Zubak's definitely not going to be a star. And with picks in the later rounds in the first round which is what you're going to get from these teams, I doubt you're going to draft a guy who's going to turn into a star. So I think that really Ben Simmons really is the best option for them, but we'll see if it happens.
Well, I think Ben Simmons needs to uh, stop showing off his PUBG setup at his house <laughs> and show that he has a basketball hoop that he's practicing threes on because yeah, at least improve one percent. Do just one one percent at least. I think that his percentages have been the same across the board for the last three years for everything. I think that he basically came into the league, was a pretty good guy, and then he just stayed there. He never really developed or added anything to his arsenal. Maybe that's a factor of playing alongside Embiid. Maybe it's not. But we'll never know unless he's traded. Yeah. So speaking of another trade, who else do you have some speculation on? So we've heard a ton of speculation about James Harden going to Miami. We saw all the talk about Jimmy Butler liking the Harden tweet about wanting to play in Miami, which led to a bunch of people saying, oh, Butler wants him to come to Miami. So the speculation is that Tyler Hero would be swapped for James Harden. In my opinion, if I'm the Heat, I would never do this. For reasons I'll go into in a bit, but what's your opinion? Would you, if you're the Heat, do this? Would you make this move and trade Tyler Hero for James Harden? So from American Airlines Arena, there are three to four decent strip clubs within a 15-mile <laughs> radius. So just by that fact alone, probably not. James Harden is a spectacular player. And spectacular players also usually want their number. James Harden has played with the number 13 from high school to Arizona, to OKC, to the Rockets. Bam, who just signed his max deal, is also number 13. So for those two facts alone, not a good deal. Now getting into the Harden Hero thing, you posted a great stat line on our Twitter saying that Hero and Harden had relatively similar rookie seasons. But then you get into playoff Tyler, and playoff Tyler put up 20 points a game. Harden was not putting up 20 points a game in OKC, his playoff year. And on top of that, when they played the Heat in the finals, Harden was really the person who didn't put up good numbers against the Heat in the finals and was what caused the Thunder to not really be competitive during that series. So, I do not think that the Heat should trade Tyler Hero for James Harden. If they can get Harden without doing so, maybe. But even if you were able to accomplish that, you'd have to mortgage the entire future beyond 2025 and leave the Heat team decimated. I saw some interesting commentary that people were giving saying, hey, Pat Riley, the godfather, he was able to do this in 2004 traded Sean Marion, Karan Butler, and some picks over for Shaq. And obviously Shaq and Dwayne Wade won a championship. Uh, Karan Butler and Tyler Hero are not the same player. And Pat Riley also, I know he'll want to do this for the rest of his life, but the rest of his life is not going to be for the next 20 years. And so even if he was in a win-now mode, I'm sure that he has to take some sort of risk stratification for whoever takes over from him because Mickey Arison is not going to want to have a team that is decimated come 2025, 2026 when somebody else is at the helm. So 
For all those reasons, I do not think that Harden should go to Miami, nor should, if the situation present itself, Miami trade Hero for Harden. Yeah, honestly, I have to agree with you. I agree with everything that you said. And I'm not saying that Tyler Hero is a better player than James Harden is right now. But I am saying that it doesn't make any sense for the Miami Heat to trade Tyler Hero for James Harden at this point. Um, alluding to the stat, the stat line that you mentioned earlier, we have James Harden in his second year because his first year, I, I won't even compare those lines because Tyler Hero's first year was clearly superior in every way to James Harden's first. But in James Harden's second season, we see that their minutes are about the same. Their field goal percentages are about the same with Tyler Hero having a strong edge in three-point percentage and free-throw percentage. He also has more assists, more points, more rebounds. It seems that he's overall in a similar situation in his career right now that James Harden was at that point in 2010. We have a combo guard who's six foot five, who's coming off the bench to inject some energy into a contending team. It was the same narrative as for Harden. We saw in the playoffs, like you mentioned, Tyler Hero took it to a level that James Harden at that point in his career never showed. And to be honest with you, I would even argue that Tyler Hero has already up to this point hit bigger shots in the playoffs than James Harden has. James Harden, let's not forget, has the record for the most turnovers ever in a playoff series. So there's that. And a couple of tidbits for you on Tyler Hero. He's the youngest player to start in an NBA Finals game. He's made 48 threes in the 2020 postseason, which is the most ever by a rookie in playoff history. He scored 261 points off the bench, which is also the most by a rookie in playoff history. And he also has scored 335 points overall, which is the fourth most by any rookie in playoff history. And on top of that, he's on a cheap contract, still in his rookie deal. You have the ability to go into his bird rights and go past the hard cap if you need to surround this team with more talent. He gives you more flexibility than James Harden would, who's already making a maximum deal. And he's only 20 years old. We still don't know at this point what he might become. I'm not saying that he's going to be a James Harden-level scorer who's going to put up 36 points a game, but I'm saying up to this point in his career, he's shown that he's definitely going to be someone that's a difference maker in the playoffs and an impact player for your team. And I think the chemistry that he's already built with Adebayo, the spacing that he provides them, the playmaking, the scoring from three levels, he gives the Heat everything they need. And if they put him at point guard this season, similar to what happened with James Harden when they placed him at point guard, I think it'll unlock his full arsenal of weapons, and we'll see the best of him. Yeah, and I think what we've talked about is Hero for Harden, but it's not going to be Hero for Harden. It's going to be Hero, Achua, Duncan Robinson, Kelly Olenek, and Kendrick Nunn for Harden. Probably. So yep. you have to get rid of every single one of your core young guys who may or may not pan out to be any semblance of as good of a player as James Harden. But then you have zero room to sign anybody other than like Isaiah Thomas and anybody else who is currently waiting for an NBA team to sign them to a contract. So it's just, I think we've hashed it out enough. Like it's, it's not a good trade. And I, I just don't think it's a smart move uh, for the heat. It'd be brilliant for the Rockets. I honestly don't think that the heat are interested. I, I would not be surprised if this is just James Harden blowing smoke putting this out there so that the media will pick it up and hopefully manifest. But if you look at it, 
it seems like the Heat, of all organizations, there's a handful of teams in the league that have this stability where a culture can be ingrained because they've had the same people in their front office for seemingly a decade now. Like if you look at the Mavericks, you look at the Spurs, you look at the Heat, those teams tend to go after a certain type of player traditionally because that is the culture that has been established by the stability of their leadership. And what we've seen traditionally from the Heat is the desire for players to fully commit to make the team the number one priority, to do whatever is asked, to show up to training camp in shape and do the work in the summer that a lot of teams don't make mandatory. They expect you to go above and beyond. It's not enough to just show up. And I think that they've seen how James Harden has acted this summer. And they basically have seen the opposite of what they wanted in a player. So I, I would honestly be shocked if the Heat were to make a move for him. Yeah, I agree. So, buy or sell. Former injure All-Stars return to form. We have a couple of big names returning this year making their debuts in the preseason. We know that it's just the preseason, and obviously anything that we see here could be only taken so much from this because it's just the preseason. But you got to admit, the guys that have come back, John Wall, DeMarcus, KD, Kyrie, and Curry, how they look to you, man? They've looked pretty good to me. So what do you think about John Wall and DeMarcus, buy or sell? Are they back to their all-star form, or is it just the preseason? Push. I don't, I don't buy, I don't sell for those two. Um, neither have really been on the court for a full season in two years. Both of them are coming off of pretty significant injuries. And both of them, while they look good in the preseason, it is a preseason. And defense is not the same in the preseason. People aren't going as fast. I don't even think they're going probably full speed. And so I, both of them particularly Wall, relied on explosiveness and domination of their opponents. I just don't see that yet because they're not really playing that level of competition. But I wish them the best. I hope that they do end up showing out, and I hope they are able to stay healthy for the full season. But what's wild is both former All-Stars, both either potential or actual max contract players, and they look like the washed version of Bam and Tyler. <laughs> Two former Kentucky players oh my play God. similar positions, and they look like the washed version of those two, the has-beens. Yeah, that's rough. I mean, from my perspective, when I was watching them play, I'm not so much looking at the stat sheet as much as I'm looking at how they look for these types of situations because I don't think you can glean a whole lot from the stats. Like you said, the competition level is not going to be quite the same. But what I look for is the mechanics. Is this person explosive the way they used to be? Are they quick? Do they have the sort of burst that they used to have that gave them that ability to get past people in the open court and finish in transition? Does DeMarcus Cousins have the ability to start finishing a little bit above the rim again? Does DeMarcus Cousins have the ability to shoot again? How does he look? Does he move well laterally? All these things are basically what I look for. And um, if I'm buying or selling, I'd have to say... I'm buying a little bit on John Wall, but I'm going to sell on DeMarcus because John Wall actually did look truly explosive out there. He almost seemed to get into a little bit of a one-on-one -on -one with the rookie from Chicago, Patrick Williams. They seemed to actually be 
playing at a level of competition that was fiercer than everyone else on the court. They seemed to have something personal with one another for that game. But um, he looked really quick. He looked really explosive. He was able to finish over the top, made a couple nice moves. He looked like the former John Wall. He didn't look washed. But again, I mean, it's only a game, and we have to see if he's going to be able to hold up. As far as DeMarcus, he still looks like he's walking through a pool uh, to me laterally when he moves on the court. He doesn't look very quick. I don't think that he'll be able to get quite back to what he was before because it's harder for big men to come back from these sort of injuries because since they're bigger, obviously they put a lot more weight on their body and on their joints. It's harder for them to recover from these sorts of things. And I think that um, it's going to be a little tougher for DeMarcus to regain the explosiveness that he used to have. And he's probably going to be able to give them something this year if he can remain healthy. I think that he'll be able to contribute in the way that maybe Carmelo Anthony has been able to help out Portland and, you know, basically giving them a reduced version of what he used to be off the bench. But I don't think he'll be able to regain that form of explosiveness. So next one, we have Kyrie and Katie and Kyrie making their returns for the Nets. Katie hasn't played in over a year. Kyrie was out for the year again. So what do you think? Katie and Kyrie's debuts, buy or sell? Are they back to their all-star form? So I'm going to buy on KD because he came in the game, first play of the game, just drove straight to the basket, threw down a monstrous duck. He looked like he was trying to put his chin on top of the rim, saying, I'm back. <laughs> like... He came and he said after the game, he was nervous, he was anxious, and even said he can't wait to be in the playoffs making these plays because he doesn't think that this period is truly representative of anything, uh, which is, I think, what we were talking about with both Wall and with uh, DeMarcus. Kyrie, the only reason I'm selling is because I don't... I looked through the last histories that he had. Shoulder, knee, hamstring, shoulder, shoulder, knee. And... They were never, like, catastrophic injuries. I feel like he personally is just not playing through anything. Um, so when he came back in, it's not like he's coming back from an Achilles tear or it's not like he's coming back from a torn ACL. He's coming back from something where it was like, it's a shortened season. Our team's not going to make it to the playoffs. I'm not really going to play. So he's kept his conditioning and everything else up while not having a catastrophic injury like that. But, man, was he cooking. He was against Washington, chefing it up, using the smoothest handles as he normally does, and they'll be exciting to watch. But with Kyrie and that whole injury history, I know that superstars nowadays are going to be resting and they're not gonna they're gonna do the load management. But Kyrie has come out and said that his idol is Kobe. And if you look at Kobe from 23 to 28, and Kyrie from 23 to 28. Kyrie has only had one season where he played more than 70 games. And he's only 28 years old. Kobe, that same age range, had two seasons where he played fewer than 70 games. And it was about 66 and 67. Then, in his 29th and 30th year age uh, season, played all 82 games. And so Kyrie, if he wants to be known as the best point guard ever 
and he wants to get rid of this whole narrative that he's kind of shaping for himself with the media. He needs to show fans and show his teammates and show Nash and KD, I'm going to play through these nagging injuries. I'm going to play through a broken finger, through a sore shoulder, through a sprained knee, because that's what winners do, and that's what my mentor did. And if he doesn't do that, then what kind of example is he setting for Dinwiddie, for Jared Allen, for Joe Harris, for anybody else who's on the team who's probably looking up to him as a leader of that team? Yeah, honestly, I have to agree with a lot of the things that you said. Um, KD looked great out there. He really did. I think that the most important thing about KD is coming off an Achilles injury. This is one of the most career-threatening injuries that you can acquire in basketball. You could potentially lose your athleticism, your spring, and your burst forever. And sometimes it's the sort of injury that you re-injure it often and it means the end of your career at some point. And I know that a lot of people when they come back from that are scared to test the Achilles and to put weight on it and to explode off of it and to cut because it is scary to go through a rehab process that's that grueling and that long to come back and then potentially hurt yourself again. That's something that's scary. But it seems like KD, he feels great. First thing he did, like you said, he drove aggressively into the rim. He took off and he slammed it over the rim. He looked great. He was hitting from deep. He was hitting from mid-range. He was crossing over. He looked great. He looked like all-star KD. I think that if he stays healthy, like I said before, he'll be probably the front runner for MVP this year. As far as Kyrie, I agree with what you say. I think that he's never really had the sort of injury that KD had to deal with this year. It's just that he probably, as a guy who's only six foot tall, doesn't weigh 180 pounds, he really does thrive on getting to the hole and getting to the basket. He takes a lot of contact. And to be his size, going into the trees, getting knocked around by guys who have 100 pounds on you, you're probably going to take a beating. And it's probably a little harder for him to stay healthy than someone like KD. He's going to take a beating. He's probably going to get hurt. He's hurt every year. It's who he is. He's the best shot maker in the NBA. He was cooking. Or the best bad shot maker, I mean. I don't think I've seen a guy that could hit better bad shots where you're like, wow, that shot was terrible. You should not take that shot. And then he still hits it. He's great at hitting the bad shot, but I just don't count on him to stay healthy for an entire season. So it's really fortunate for the Nets that they have such great depth and they have a guy like Dinwiddie to fill in for Kyrie for the 20-plus games he'll probably miss this year. Um, on another note, that's got to be probably the strangest locker room in the NBA. We have two guys that are notoriously sensitive guys. We have Kevin Durant, someone who has been caught making burner Twitter accounts to defend himself and to defend criticisms of himself without people knowing that it's him. He responds to random college kids and people in high school who talk bad about him. I mean, it's Kevin Durant and he's, he's responding to these people. It clearly affects him. And you have a guy like Kyrie who it seems is always making the headlines for reasons besides basketball because he's out so often that a lot of times when you hear a headline about him, it's because he's being dramatic about something or he's complaining about something or making some vague tweet that seems like it's really deep but in reality doesn't really make all that much sense. It's going to be a strange locker room. I mean, teams' locker rooms take on the personality of the leaders of that team. 
I can only imagine what it must feel like in that locker room after a loss. Who's going to pick them up? I mean, I hope they don't lose too many games because I feel like this is the kind of team that if they were to go on a losing streak, they might go off the rails because they need when you when a team goes on a losing streak to right the ship, you need a guy with strong character to be like, hey guys, we need to snap back into shape. Who's going to be that guy for the Nets? Maybe one of them will evolve into the leader that we've never seen them to be to this point. But that's the other thing about them. As great as they both are, that's always been the question about them. Are they true leaders? Are they good enough to be the alpha? We know that Katie and Kyrie have the talent too, but it seems their personalities are more suited to being the second guy. So we'll see how this plays out. But enough about Kyrie and KD. Another big debut, Stephen Curry made his debut as well. Probably not quite as impressive as some of the other guys, but it is nice to see him back on the court. What did you think? I agree with you. I, he looked a little rusty, but he's also coming onto the court with an entirely new cast that he's never seen before. Since the last time he stepped on the court, Draymond's out with COVID. Clay's obviously out. Oubre is new. Wiggins and Curry haven't really played a lot since Wiggins got traded to the team last year. So Steph had consistency, and you talked earlier about those teams like the Mavericks, the Spurs, the Heat. The Warriors are realistically on their way there with Kerr at the helm, Joe LaCobe, and that ownership. They're trying to emulate that and create that style and create that culture. So for Curry, he was surrounded with a lot of the same people for a long time. And now he's stepping on the court. I think he's the oldest guy on that team, which he hasn't been since he's been around. And that team overall, they did get younger, but it was at the expense of losing bets. So I think he looked rusty, but I think it's normal to expect. I do think that he'll have to carry the mantle of the team this year. And we've talked about it. He did put on some muscle mass, so maybe he's just not used to hucking up threes with the cannons that he's carrying now. So we'll uh, we'll see if he gets used to that and he can shoot at the same clip that we expect him to, but I still think he'll get to the, maybe not 50, 40, 90, but I think he's going to get close to that club again this year because he's going to have to be that efficient for them to win. Yeah, for Curry, I think that he'll definitely be an all-star caliber player this year. I think that he's going to have a good year, but I don't think that we're going to see Pete Curry like when he had that 50, 40, 90 year, like you mentioned. I just find it a little bit tougher for Curry to return to that level than someone like KD because Curry's style of playing basketball relies on hitting traditionally lower percentage, tougher shots than KD, who he's going to get a lot of dunks, he's going to get a lot of finishes at the rim. Curry, at one point when he was in that 50-40-90 season, one of the things that he did really well was get to the basket and finish at the basket. That really complemented his shooting ability. The ability for him to finish was able to get him some more room on the outside and make it easier for him to shoot those threes on the run because the threat of him driving by you is always there. I don't know if when I saw him play that I saw that same ability to get by guys. He didn't quite look like he was able to get to the basket at will like he used to. And I think that because of that, people were able to stay on his hip a little more and stay in front of him a little easier, which made it a little harder for him to get the space that he needs to get his shot off. So I think that it's just what Curry does to score is just so hard to do. He's the only guy, 
I mean, except for maybe Damian Lillard, who, who looked nice, who in the looked other incredible. Oh Jesus. my God! But outside of Damian Lillard, I think that these are the only two guys who can hit such a high percentage of shots and gen- and get such a large percentage of their points on such difficult shots. Shots that a lot of other players in the NBA don't even attempt. I think Bradley so, Beal, in complimenting Dame, said that he was shooting a better percentage from further from the three-point line than at the three-point line. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. What I honestly think that if Damian Lillard, that guy's an MVP-level talent. It's just that he doesn't usually have the supporting cast around him to get enough, enough people to talk about him. That's just the story of his career, unfortunately. He's always the guy who makes it far, but just not far enough. And he's fantastic, but unfortunately, the situation around him just isn't conducive to winning at all, I guess. But we have Corn Romello back, so... Corn Romello is back, so you never know this year. If Hoodie Mello shows up, I think that they'd have better chances, but there, I, I think, think there's, there's been a rule a hoodie, on that. Corn Romello. Ah, that combination might work. But yeah, I, just, I, I find it a lot harder for Curry to return to that level. It's just the difficulty of those shots. I find it hard for him to return to that peak form again. But enough with the old. Let's talk a little bit about the new. With the start of the preseason, we've gotten a first look at some of the new rookies. Of course, this is just the preseason, so we can't glean too much. Again, it's just the preseason. We know we're not overreacting here. But it is fun to kind of project. Let's talk a little bit about the rookies. Who do you think had the most impressive debut that you've seen so far for a rookie? Who are you excited about? Yeah, I had two people, and one of them, it was doubly impressive because in our earlier podcast, I talked about him being a reach, but Patrick Williams, I know there's a log jam at the Chicago Bulls forward position, but put up double-digit points in both games against Houston, donned a positive plus-minus in both games. The turnovers were the one thing from him that concerned me. I think he was about at four or five turnovers per game, which is a bit high compared to the what he had in college, I think he had a 1.7 average over the course of his one year at Florida State. But it's the NBA. It's his first game ever for the preseason for them. That's still the first time that they're in the league fulfilling their dreams. So I'm sure he's a little bit nervous about that. But overall, awesome games from him. The other one that I saw, the first game wasn't great for him. But the second game he did really well from an efficiency standpoint was Hal Burton from uh, the Sacramento Kings. I really like him. Yeah, plus minus plus twenty. Second game scored eleven points, seven assists, six rebounds. It'll be interesting to see. Buddy Heald has been thrown around as a guy who could be traded this year from the Kings. It'll be interesting to see if they run a double point guard lineup with Fox and with Halliburton. Those never work. And see if it does work. If it marginally does, because it is the Kings, I think that they will trade Buddy Heald. But we'll see. But both of them, good games out of uh, each of those rookies. I have to agree with you. I was going to also mention Patrick Williams. I think that if you look at the game that Patrick Williams had, and if you just look at the box score, the box score is actually selling him short. If you look at that game and you saw it, it was highly competitive. It almost felt at one point before the game was out of hand like Patrick Williams and John Wall were in a playoff atmosphere or something, the way that they were going at each other. I saw Billy Donovan of the Bulls basically look at Patrick Williams like, I don't even know what to do with this guy because of all the potential talent that he has. I saw him throw him out there guarding four different positions. He guarded 
one through four. I saw Billy Donovan basically use him as a playmaker, as a shooter, as a spot-up. He wants to know what he's got with this guy. And I think he looked great out there. I know that he had four turnovers and only 28 minutes, but turnovers are usually the product of mental mistakes, and those are fixable. The thing that you got to love about him is the way he looked. He played with so much poise for a guy that's as young as he is. I think he might have been the youngest guy in the draft. He's not even going to be 20 years old until next year. So this entire rookie season, he's going to be 19. And you saw him playing out there, and he looked like a guy already that has some experience in the league. This guy is oozing potential. He's got all the raw talent. He seems to have the mental makeup. I think that this guy is finally a pick that the Bulls actually really hit on and can potentially be a foundational piece for the future with how he looked. His lateral quickness and his strength really are elite. So well, I've got to gotta say high praise for Patrick Williams. And with four turnovers in each game, to have a positive plus minus means that overall you and the team were operating so efficiently that those turnovers didn't hurt you. So if that lateral quickness was there on a turnover, he got back on defense, filled his lane, they couldn't get an easy score on the He was everywhere. Play. So that just shows, yeah, it is a mental mistake, but he's also not giving up on the play to get back and it's ensure. It's little things like that, exactly. Yeah. You don't see that on the stat sheet, but you saw this guy. I mean, this is the preseason. This doesn't even count. But he's out there hustling like this game matters. Hey, but there's a log jam at the forward position. You're the youngest guy. You're the new kid on the block. The only thing notable to your name is you know how to procure flowers from your mom. And you're out there hustling and showing why you were the number four pick. And I'm sure rookies aren't as easily able to block out the noise as compared to older guys. So I'm sure he saw on social media. I'm sure he heard from family members and friends. Oh, I didn't expect you to go four. Oh, I didn't think you were going to go four. And so he's out there proving himself to the naysayers, the doubters, and also trying to earn that spot as potentially a starter at some point during this season, but also to be the sixth or seventh or eighth man on the bench ready to go for Billy Donovan. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, the other guy that I wanted to mention, this guy is a pretty intriguing prospect. People didn't really know what to think about him because he, he's international. He um, didn't play any college ball, so this is really the first look that we're getting to see of Denny Avdija, the 6'9", 210-pound forward. Israel, first one since Omri Kaspi. <laughs> yeah, and probably the best one, too. Um, basically, if you haven't heard anything about him, pre-draft comparison is a poor man's Luka Doncic. That's obviously, I mean, Luka Doncic is already an MVP-level player, so we don't want to throw that comparison out lightly. I'm not saying that he's going to be Luka Doncic. Let me be clear about that. But he's got pretty good ball handling ability and passing ability for a guy who's six foot nine. He's got pretty solid shooting ability and creativity. Seems to be a high IQ player. He's still very young and only 19 years old. So he has a lot of similarities with Luka Doncic. And in the game that he played, he had 15 points and hit all six of his field goals. He had a positive plus minus, and he otherwise looked pretty dynamic on offense. It remains to be seen if he'll be able if he'll be able to maintain that level of production as defenses scout him and learn his strengths and weaknesses. But you can't really ask for more than 15 points on six for six. Yeah, he, he was impressive, but 
Also, side note on Israeli players. So when I visited Israel, Omri Kaspi was like their country's gem. So this guy is already a celebrity over there. I'm sure. Because there's so few basketball players that make it. But there's still like Maccabee Tel Aviv is a pretty good basketball team that plays in the EuroLeague. So Israel loves basketball, but they just don't have those national players that go make it big. I mean, it's akin to what you saw with like Yao Ming and the following he had in China. You don't have a lot of Chinese players. Even Jeremy Lin, who I think is up from China's Chinese descent. Even Jeremy Lin, who's of Chinese descent, has a large following because they just don't have those kinds of players, even though they have the CBA and they have these larger leagues. Like, you don't have those players with that notoriety. So, good for him. Glad to see that he's doing well. But like you said, it is a preseason. So, who did you not like or were you not impressed with? Well, for me, I've been kind of low on him from the moment that he got drafted. And I'm not trying to say that I don't want him to have success, but I just haven't had a whole lot of faith or confidence in Anthony Edwards. It seemed like Anthony Edwards, from the very start of this whole process, has seemed like a guy whose priority isn't really basketball. This is a guy who literally said that if he could have played NFL football professionally, he would have done that instead. You don't hear a lot of professional NBA guys say that this is their second option. Like usually the guys that are in the league is because it's their first choice and they worked really hard at it. Which is wild because you had Jimmy Graham, Eric Swoop, Donovan McNabb, these college basketball players that some of them had never played football before and made the transition, but some of them played both and then ended up easily going to football. So I feel like basketball is a much more skilled sport, whereas football it is more about those, like, are you tall? Are you fast? Are you stocky? Which he fits the bill for all three. So I know he went as a first round pick, but if he wanted to play the NFL, I am sure a team would have spent the fourth round pick on him. Yeah, I would, have, I would have imagined so too, but I guess when you're guaranteed to go in the top five, you're not going to pass that up. But regardless, it seems like maybe picking him at second was a little too high. I think that at the second pick, or first pick, you got to get a guy that's a surefire thing, or as close to a surefire thing as you can get. This is supposed to be a guy, I mean, I know that this draft wasn't a home run, but this is a guy that has massive boomer bust potential. And up to this point, for a guy that's supposed to be your lead guard, he has basically shown all the things that you were questioning him about in the preseason. He showed poor decision making. He had three turnovers to one assist. He showed a lack of commitment on the defensive end, plus minus of negative 17, which was the worst on the whole team, the game that he played. And they, they literally played everybody except for one guy. We're not talking about 10 guys played. No, everybody, everybody played except and for one guy. And they expanded rosters, so it's like 20 people. Yeah, and he literally had the worst plus minus of anyone. Three turnovers to one assist for a guy who's supposed to be a lead guard. He showed a poor decision-making on the offensive end with only two of nine from the field. He showed a lack of ability to hit consistently from outside with only one of five from three. He's known to be a streaky shooter. He didn't. I don't know why people say that he's a a great shooter from the outside. If we look at his statistics from college, he shot below 35% from three. That's not a knockdown shooter by any means. Yes, every now and then he'd get hot and he'd have a game where he'd go off, but 
That's just what he is. He's a streaky guy. There's guys like that. J.R. Smith does that sometimes. It doesn't mean you use the top pick on this guy. Oh. So I honestly think that up to this point, his performances have been underwhelming for a guy that is supposed to be the best player in the draft. Well, and five fouls. So undisciplined on the defensive Undisciplined completely. I mean, he didn't do anything right. I mean, what can you say about the guy? Yeah. Is there even anything positive that we can say about him? I don't think so. And they gave him 26 minutes. I mean, I obviously think that he's going to improve from here because you can't do much worse. But you don't typically see a number one pick start out this way, especially not in the preseason when you're not even playing a locked-in, dialed-in defense. We saw other guys who are nowhere near as touted as him have productive, productive outings, and there's really no excuse to have such little impact on the game as he did. Yeah, and you look at a decision like that, and some team that spends that type of draft capital to get a guy like that, it reminds you of Anthony Bennett with the Cleveland Cavaliers and their decision there, and it makes you wonder, or rather, not makes you not wonder why people like Jimmy Butler people like LeBron, people like Kyrie want to leave organizations like that and go to organizations that have a steady front office that have that type of culture because you go to one of these organizations and you see how broken things are or you yep. see how poor the scouts are that you have the number one pick and yet there are people who take somebody with the 25th pick or take somebody in the second round. Or give Malik Beasley $60 million. <laughs> Or give Larsa Pimpin's Honey, my 16, bad. Give yes, sixty right. million. Sixty million. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> for Malik Beasley. Yeah, it it just doesn't make sense. Um, I so I have a, a trio that I was very not impressed with, and I call them the point guard bricks because Mr. Killian Hayes from the Detroit Pistons. Bad pick. O of three from three pointer. Two of seven from the rest of the field. LaMelo, 0-3 from three-pointer, 0-5 from the field. But he had 10 rebounds. Cole Anthony, 1-4 from three-pointer, 3 of 10 from the field. All three guys, top 15 picks, all three guys playing awfully. The most notable thing that came out about LaMelo this week was that he bought an apartment from Cam Newton in the same building where Michael Jordan owns the entire seventh floor. Also Spent, got a pretty nice set of new grills if you saw that. Yeah, he got some new grills. So he bought a new set of grills, which probably set him back, eh, let's call it upper five figures. So probably like... I mean, he's entitled to get what he wants. He did earn it. He, yeah, he's entitled to get what he wants. But Lonzo bought a house for $5.2 million as soon as he signed in the league. LaMelo, and probably had to sell it, or it has LaVar living in it since he doesn't live in L.A. anymore. LaMelo spent $3.2 million as soon as he gets in the league. And LaMelo signed a two-year deal with team options in the uh, last two years. So if he doesn't play well, Jordan and Kupchak can say, all right, well, we're not going to sign you for those team options in the next couple of years. So for them to go and spend, LaMelo's first-year salary was $8 million, so he spent a little under half of his salary, and Lonzo's first-year salary was around similar value. For them to go and spend that much money, I know they have shoe deals, I know they have other endorsement deals, but it just shows you that you need to have the right people around you guiding you on the right decision-making so you're not going out and blowing the amount of money that a quarterback 
who has been in the National Football League for 10 years, is spending on an apartment or on a place. Interestingly enough, though, he claims that he actually is not spending any of the money from his contract. Apparently, he has enough endorsement deals that he can afford all of those things without actually spending a dime of his contract, so he says. So, I mean, but good for him. The guy, the guy balled out in terms of showing enough in high school to secure himself a position like this. But I agree with you. Um, he was, to me, unimpressive for a guy who got picked as high as him. I also never thought he was deserving of that pick. I thought it was too high. I think that he's basically just a taller version of his brother, to be honest with you. He presents the same positives, the same weaknesses. He's essentially just a taller version of his brother, really. Which, to get into conspiracies real quick, I think that they went over to Lithuania to get some HGH. LaMelo is young enough that he actually grew. Leandro couldn't, which is why Leandro's not in the league, and LaMelo is in the league. Huh, that could be. that. That's a crazy conspiracy, but I mean... Lonzo's <laughs> not that tall. He's 6'5". He's but an he's, oversized point guard. But he's not 6'8". And LaMelo was a little baby before. Honestly, I would not I would not put it past LeVar to do something like that. Because, you know, Just, it is LeVar Ball. Son, you're not growing. We got to get you. We got to get you to <laughs> If you're going to be better than Stephen Curry, and I'm going to beat Michael Jordan in one-on-one, -on -one, then you need three more inches. Yeah. But, no, he, uh, he, uh, he had some really nice passes. Maybe he'll be 6'10", like Jason Tatum, in a couple of years. Who knows? I mean, that's crazy. But he did have some really nice passes. He did show very elite vision for a guy who is that young. And I value him that. He's an excellent passer. But the lack of shooting is blatant. Just like you said, he missed almost everything. So I think that it's going to be the same situation as his brother, where he's going to be a great passer and a guy who cannot be relied upon to score. We've seen lots of point guards in that mold. We've seen Alfred Payton. We've seen Rajon Rondo. We've seen lots of guys who are the I'm a great Crafty passer, Ricky Rubio, but I can't score for crap guy. Like, those are nice players to have, but none of those players player. are going to win you a championship. And I don't think they're deserving of top five picks, in my honest opinion. But that's just me. But uh, moving on from the rookies, the ESPN top 100 player rankings have now been released. What do you think? Do you agree with the top 10 up to this point? I think they got the top 10 right. Maybe you could shift around the order on a given day of the week. But I think the top 10 is is right in terms of 1 through 10. Not even in a particular order, just top 10. I agree with you on they're that. They're right. After the top 10, I have no idea what those guys were doing. <laughs> Absolutely I, no idea I what those guys were doing. I think it could be that they really only worked on the top 10, and then they were like, ah, oh, no one really reads before the top 10 so and then they just whatever. threw darts at a draft board and said all right these <laughs> i think yeah no that guy fits there bam i love him you know what let's put his jersey number as his ranking he gets number 13 this year like there's <laughs> just no thought afterwards for out of the top 10 who do you think the big biggest snub was okay well for me i think that what they put bradley beal at is just criminal how can you put Bradley Beal, a guy who averaged 30 points a game, at number 22? You're putting this guy behind Zion Williamson. Like, you're putting this guy behind a ton of guys who haven't achieved as much as him. Like, and then I remember last year, too, he missed out on getting selected for the All-NBA no, the, for the, for the All team as well. A guy who performed at an elite level 
it seems like he just never really gets any credibility or respect because he plays for the Wizards and he's constantly on a losing team. But the guy is a great talent. And to say that he's the 22nd best player in the NBA, I can't think of 22 guys that are a better player than Bradley Beal. That's just crazy to me. I also think, though, a lot of what you talked about in the earlier episodes is it has to be a perfect combination of narrative, player, performance. And for Bradley Beal, the player and the performance is always there, but the narrative is never there because he's not a pre-banana. He doesn't complain about things. He doesn't outwardly say to the media, hey, I think I'm better than these 15 players. Hey, I want to play with somebody else. Hey, I want to do this. Man, get me on this team. No, he sits there. He does his job. He does his job extremely well, and nobody gives him the time of day. So I agree with you. I thought he was a huge snub. Uh, but I think there were fewer snubs than there were just pure people overrated. And we talked about them in several of the podcasts, but starting with the first person we talked about this podcast, Ben Simmons has no business being in the position that he's in. Zion Williamson right behind him has no business being ranked as he is. This isn't about potential. This isn't about who you'd want to build your team around today for a brighter future tomorrow. It's about who is the best player currently? Who are the best players currently? And I would not put Ben Simmons and Zion Williamson above Bradley Beal. I would not put them above Jamal Murray. I would not put them above Carl Anthony Towns. I would not put them above Kyrie. And I would not put them above Paul George. Even Russell Westbrook, who's at 36, he's probably my biggest snub, deserves more credit for what he's done recently than anything Ben Simmons or Zion Williamson have done. Would I want them on would I want Russell over them on my team for my future days? No. But Russell Westbrook was recently the MVP. Russell Westbrook had two triple double seasons before being paired with a guy who just wanted to go party with rappers. So there's no reason for those guys to be ranked, I think, at 18th and 19th, respectively. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, for the top 10, I think they nailed it. I think that those are the top 10 players. I don't really think you can argue that. It seems like that's what they really put their effort on. The one thing that I would say about the top 10 that I don't agree with, I really don't think that Anthony Davis is the second best player in the NBA. I'm sorry, I really don't. I think that this is just an overreaction to what we just saw in the finals. I think that when we saw Anthony Davis in those finals, we saw him basically take advantage of a depleted team that was severely undersized and was playing his own defense that was allowing him to basically just be Godzilla out there, grab the rebound, put it back. He was, he was the second best player for those games in the NBA. He looked like it for those. The thing is, once they changed the game plan and they took him out of a position where he could just roam around and grab those boards and easily attack the basket, he no longer played like the second best player in the NBA. As we saw, LeBron James had to really turn it on those last couple of games to get the championship. Anthony Davis resumed his secondary role in those later games because they played him differently. And I think that if he were the second best player in the NBA, he probably wouldn't have regressed like that. I don't think the second best player in the NBA, you can just easily make an adjustment and then you slash all his, all his stats in half. Like I think that when you're a top two player, 
you can't game plan for this guy. This guy's a problem no matter what. He's going to get his numbers no matter what. You can't do anything about it. I think those are the, like the top two players in the NBA. That's the criteria. I don't think that Anthony Davis is that. So Yeah, and I agree with you. I think there was a recency effect with that. I do think that purely as a player, Giannis is a better player. Purely as a player, Kawhi is a better player. Purely as a player, Luka will likely be a better player For this sure. So, I think that he's actually number five on this. I think which that is what he just, was last year. That's where he belongs. Yeah. I think that if, honestly, we just replace him with probably Giannis Antetokounmpo and then scoot up Doncic one, you've got your real top five there. But, yeah, Anthony Davis, I would never pick him with my top five picks in 2K. I would never do that. Yeah. And um, for my most overrated, I agree with you, Zion Williamson at 19. I feel like the league has basically just crowned him the next LeBron already. Like We're talking about a guy who just finished his rookie season. He didn't play more than half of it. And while he did look fantastic while he was on the court, he did have an injury like people were concerned he might have because playing at that weight is a lot on the body. It is, it's honestly a physical marvel that he's able to do the things that he can at the weight that he is. It's just incredible how his knees can hold up. But I just think that at this point, to say, hey, let's put you on the cover of NBA 2K, let's put you at number 19, like that's jumping the gun a little bit. He hasn't done it yet. Yes, he has the potential and the talent to potentially be one of the best players in the NBA, but I think he has to show it first before we crown him king already. So I'd say that that was probably the biggest overreaction. Yeah, and especially like Duke historically is an amazing and a basketball team, and they produce great NBA talent. But there is still no Duke player that's in the Hall of Fame. So you have to consider that, yes, Kyrie will likely get to the Hall of Fame. Maybe that Zion will get to the Hall of Fame. But you're not putting Shane Battier there. You're not putting J.J. Redick there. You're not putting a lot of these Duke guys that are great role players in the NBA but they never really pan out to that superstardom that they experience while being a Duke player. So it'll be interesting to see if Zion does do that. I do not at all put him where LeBron is because he's not as much of a passing talent. LeBron has developed a shot later in his career. It's yet to be seen if Zion is consistently going to put up a shot, but also hopefully Stan Van's conditioning gets him into a more lean body so that he isn't putting as much stress and as much damage on his knees and doesn't end up turning into a Brandon Roy, Greg Oden, that sort of situation. I agree with you. So now for our segment of what's the verdict. Have a couple of quick hitters for you. You defend their case and let us know what is the verdict. Kyrie Irving is skipping mandatory media sessions, apparently in an attempt to block out distractions. Kyrie Irving is creating more distractions for himself than he is avoiding by skipping his mandatory media sessions. What is the verdict? Do you agree? I would not take this case as the defendant, the defending lawyer, <laughs> if I were paid a billion dollars because he is so guilty and he loves the media attention. I think he likes to tell people and sell people on, I don't really like the attention. I just... A hundred percent. He loves having this narrative. He's a diva. And is an absolute... It reminds me of like wide receivers in the NFL. For they sure. always talk about that they need to have this diva, prima donna status personality. And Kyrie... Like my first thought 
when thinking about this was let me look at when the Kyrie 7 was released. And it wasn't timed-wise, like, at the same point. But that's what I thought. I was like, he's being a great, great promo guy. He's just coming out and saying, hey, here, read this press release because I don't want to talk to people. Like, he would have done less damage but still had people talk about him if he would have just shown up to the media and Marshawn lynched it and gone, I'm just happy to be here. I'm here so I'm not, I don't get fined, etc." Instead, he just, like, it was completely to drum up attention for himself to get people not to talk about the Nets or the game and only focus on Kyrie because he's probably a little narcissistic too. Like, I feel most of divas or, or these type of players are. So I have to agree with you. I mean, he has to know that by skipping the media sessions, which he says that he's skipping because he wants to block out distractions, he has to know that by skipping them, people are going to ask, why are you skipping them? And then he called the media pawns. So he's calling people names. Yeah, they're, was, they're his pawn. Exactly. They're doing like what he wants. And it was in the same breath of him talking about like, we need to be talking about social justice causes. We need to not be like belittling people. And then he calls the media pawns. I and, know. This, but he's always been the king of contradiction. I mean, this is somebody, I don't know what his deal is. The guy is salty. I mean... I'm not a, a huge LeBron fan myself, but for him to go out and say that he's never had a teammate that he believes has been able to hit a, a game-winning shot or a shot when the game is on the line, when he played with LeBron, the guy that basically took him to the promised land, he's never had the success without him. So clearly it was because of LeBron. And then he says, oh yeah, the first time is now with KD. It's almost like he's doing it on purpose because he knows that LeBron is going to hear it, and he wants to throw him a slight. That's how he is. He is a passive-aggressive, I say one thing, but my intention is something else guy. I honestly don't know how people get along with him. I don't know how this is going to work in the locker room. Like I said earlier, amazing talent, but he is just a head case. I mean, he said it himself. He, he came out and said that it didn't work with the Celtics because he wasn't in the right state of mind. That is what he said. I mean, when, when is he in the right state of mind? That, that's what I want to know. When is he in the right state of mind? If his, if his mind is right, then his body's not. Hey. And if his body's right, then his mind isn't. There's always something with the guy. And I know we talked about it earlier, but maybe if things do go south, then they trade him for Harden. Yeah, I'm sure Houston would still rather have Simmons than Kyrie Irving just because of longevity's sake. But I agree with you. It's on the table. But speaking of James Harden... James Harden is leaving no doubt that he wants to leave Houston as soon as possible. By forcing the issue to the degree that he has, he has made it harder for Houston to move him due to hurting his own trade value. True or not, what's the verdict? So, James, spectacular player. We talked a lot about him earlier. And I would say guilty if, I, if he had one year remaining on his deal, but he has two. And so, I think on a one-year deal it's easier to hurt your trade value by saying all the things that he says and giving them this type of list that that's only who's going to play for. But since he has two years, he can go to a team and have them convince him to stay. And people forget, very recently, Kawhi said he wanted out of San Antonio. Toronto was not somebody who was on the short list for Kawhi. They still traded him there because DeRozan and the package of players and picks that they got for Kawhi was better than anything else 
anybody else had to offer, including the Lakers and the Clippers, where he eventually went, who were the teams that were on his shortlist. So I think he's innocent because he just doesn't have that kind of leverage at the moment. And I think some of these silly antics that he's playing with the strip club, with not showing up to practice, is more of him just trying to force his way out and teams see through that. Kawhi was also coming off an unknown injury. And James Harden, aside from ship, sipping some champagne, has been playing basketball all offseason. So he's still going to come back and be the all-star that everybody knows and loves. But two years, no injuries, some stupid acting out. I hope Houston doesn't trade him to anybody on his shortlist just to show the league teams are not going to fold to this type of pressure. Because at the end of the day, these guys sign these long-term deals. They're paid millions of dollars. Yes, if you wanted to go play with your friends every year, then sign a one plus one every year. Have some insurance on yourself for the one year in case you get injured, and then decide every year who you want to go play with. And if you don't do that, then you have to stay and play for that team. You cannot come out and say, I want to trade with two years to go. When the team really hasn't done anything bad by you. Sure, the GM and the coach that you new to grow and love aren't there anymore. But that was their prerogative. They both decided to leave. And so one team that wasn't on the short list that we didn't talk about earlier that I'd love to see him go, Portland. I would love hmm. to see CJ McCollum traded to Houston for James Harden along with Zach Collins from Portland traded there. And they just got their first round pick protected uh, for the lottery from the Covington trade, unprotect that fully for next year and give them another pick in 2023 that is lottery protected. That if not, it just goes over time down to unprotected and have Portland get the second star next to Dame that replaces McCollum for the same position that ends the CJ James experiment, move CJ to give him his own team in Houston still give some of their draft capital um, over to Houston from Portland. And we'll see if Mello, Dame, and, and Harden can get it done. And in Portland doesn't have many strip clubs, so that's also <laughs> that's a good a thing for that. That's a big for James. But I think that, that would make the most sense from teams not on the short list for both sides while also satisfying his trade request, but in an unsatisfactory way. I have to agree. That's a really uh, interesting scenario there. That's a nice dark horse candidate. Would be interesting to see him team up with Damian Litter to see if that could finally get the Portland Blazers over the hump. But I have to agree with you. If, uh, if he had only one year left on his deal, the team might be less inclined to do it. But you still have the security of knowing that the guy's going to give you at least 30 points a game. He's healthy. And when his mind is right, you know what he's going to give you. So I think the teams that would have been interested in him before he started acting out, are probably still going to be interested in him, regardless, whichever those teams may be. Speaking of teams trying to figure out awkward situations, Giannis Antetokounmpo has had now several months to sign the maximum extension that the Milwaukee Bucks have offered him. He now has one week left to sign the Supermax extension. If he hasn't signed it already, he isn't going to sign it and has already made up his mind. What's the verdict? Guilty or innocent? Guilty. He's not signing. He's not He's not staying in Milwaukee. It would be shocking to me if he signed it. It would be 
more shocking if he stayed in Milwaukee. I don't see him uh, really enjoying this season because the whole narrative is going to be around whether he's going to stay or not. And he seems like a relatively reclusive guy that doesn't really like to bring these things up. And it seems like he'll probably get into scuffles with the media of, I just want to talk about basketball. I just want to talk about this game. We lost the game. Stop talking about whether or not I'm leaving. No, I don't think it's a distraction. You guys are the distraction. So I see that as being a huge deterrent for him and leaving even more of a sour taste in his mouth. But he doesn't need to sign the extension. He's a very durable guy. I don't see him getting injured next year. I think he, uh, Milwaukee will do well. But I, I don't see him leaving. And the reason – or I don't see him staying. And the reason why I really don't see him staying, we talked about it before, is the botched Bogdan trade. I think that has the potential to be the starting point for a lot of what-ifs, the same way the Chris Paul veto to LA was. Because if Bogdan was traded there, then what do the Atlanta Hawks do? Do they fill that spot or not? Does Giannis end up signing the Supermax extension? If he does, then do the Heat trade for Beal? If they trade for Beal, then they do, do the Wizards do the trade for Russell Westbrook or not? So... I just think there's so many what-if scenarios that come out of if Bogdan had been signed. And since he wasn't, I don't think he stays. And I think that it just continues the cascading domino effect that we'll continue to see. Yeah, I agree. I think that he's definitely guilty. I know that he's come out and said that he's still thinking about it and that he's still stewing it over. But I agree. If you have had this offer on the table all this time, I don't think that at this point one extra week is going to change his mind and make him want to sign it. Especially because there's really, if you're him, no pressure to sign it right now. People are kind of acting like if he doesn't sign this extension by Monday that he can't get the Supermax, which is not the case. He will still be eligible to sign the same exact deal at the end of the year if he doesn't enter free agency. So if you're him, why wouldn't you just see how the team performs first and see what you have, and then if you like it, you can still sign the same deal at the end. I don't see why he would sign now. I know that all his teammates gave him pens for his birthday and presented them to him in the locker room, and they did that as a nice gesture, try to pressure him to sign. But it really is like the girlfriend who's asking, so what are we? And whenever that happens, we know that it's, it's noncommittal. It's played by ear, let's see how this goes. And I think that's where he is right now. He's going to see what this year looks like. And if the addition of Drew Holiday doesn't move the needle, he's gone. Yeah, I agree. So Paul George signed a surprise four-year, $190 million extension with the Clippers after a tumultuous postseason run and a coaching change. Paul signing this extension has less to do with his confidence in the future of the Clippers and more to do with his lack of confidence and his ability to secure another big contract given his recent performance. What do you think? What's the verdict? Guilty or innocent? Guilty, and we'll find him doubly guilty if he doesn't play well again and is the reason why either Kawhi left or he got traded. Because if Paul George comes back next year and puts up the same numbers or worse after having a mulligan of a season with falling almost seven points per game and then falling in every single other statistical category, Kawhi's not going to want to stay. Even though it's his home team, why would he want to stay with that guy? 
And if they choose Paul or choose Kawhi over Paul and trade Paul somewhere else, then Paul's going to find himself ending up on the Rockets with John Wall, a broken cousins, and a broken heart because he couldn't play to his abilities. And I just, if I'm Kawhi and I see that, two things are going to happen for him. First thing he's going to think is, wow, you really don't think that you're going to be able to keep up that level of play for signing this thing so early because the TV rights are probably going to go up and sponsorships are going to go back up and revenue from fans is going to go back up when the coronavirus vaccine is given. So if all of those things happen, the cap is going to go up. And if the cap goes up, you could probably still secure a pretty large deal in a year or two if we do well and win this thing like everybody thinks we should. But now you signed a deal that locks you in for another five years, pretty much? Huh. So you're not betting on yourself. You're betting on you potentially having down years the rest of the go. Whereas I took a two plus one after being injured, but still winning an NBA championship. And I'm going to see and wait things out and then probably sign another large deal when I'm around the same age as you. So I think he's guilty of that uh, and guilty of not having confidence in himself. And I think it could be detrimental to his relationship with Kawhi and with the Clippers, or it's going to be detrimental to his bank account because he could have gotten way more if he plays like the old Paul George. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think he's guilty. A player like Paul George is a guy that for me is really hard to wrap my head around because sometimes he plays like a guy who could definitely be a top 10 player in the NBA. And it's not like he does it for just one game. There have been like periods in his career where seemingly for weeks and maybe even months at a time, he'll play like a guy who's a top 10 player, followed by then weeks and months at a time where he can't hit anything. And it's just, I don't understand how, how it is that his performance can be so hot and so cold at this point in his career because he is not a young player anymore per se. Like he's been in the league a lot. He's got a lot of experience. At this point, he's a veteran. You would expect by this point, a player of his caliber would have developed a little bit more consistency. And I think it just goes to show you about the mental makeup that he has. I absolutely think that he's taking this deal right now because he's worried about his future performances. I think that he came out and said in the playoffs, I am no James Harden. He literally said that word for word. He's like, I'm not James Harden. My main job is not to score. I, I impact the game in other ways. Um, sometimes I score, but I impact the game in, in lots of ways, and I pride myself on that. I'm not, I'm not a scorer. I'm no James Harden. He really said that. I mean, if you're a guy who's supposed to be one of the best players in the NBA, you're not playing only one aspect of the game. Like You're supposed to be a scorer in addition to all these other things. Who do you see in the top 10 that's not a scorer? Everybody in the top 10 is a scorer. I don't see anyone in the top 10 that can't put the ball in the hole. I mean, the lack of ability to score by Paul George in the playoffs, it's just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing to me. And I think that for him, after having another bad playoff run, because remember, this is a guy that earlier in his career, I think had the record for worst shot percentage for a go-ahead basket in the final two minutes. I think that he literally had that stat. And I remember it took maybe until his eighth season to hit a game winner, which, I mean, that's pretty crazy. I mean, 
in all the games that he's played, you'd think he'd have at least one game-winning go-ahead bucket. And, you and know, it's not like he didn't have the opportunities to hit him. It's just that he missed them all. And you know what the flip side of that is? Somebody on Twitter released a montage of Paul George game winners. But it was game winners being done on Paul George. That <laughs> montage was 11 minutes long. And I thought, maybe this is just five plays that they're just showing in an elongated uh, amount of like replays. No, it was like 20 game winners on the guy. Right. And he is a bona fide superstar Supposed on defense. Supposed to be a lockdown guy. Yeah, I think he's in top seven all-time defensive rating of previous or current NBA players. And to have that montage is embarrassing. I honestly, I, I, I will say this for him. He has had exceptionally bad luck on some of those because, I mean, the guy on some of them, he actually, I mean, he was there. He played defense on some of them. But it just seems that when guys see Paul George defending you on the game winner, you're like, oh, I got to cook him. I'm going to hit this one. And conversely, when and, guys see Paul George trying to take the game winner, they're like, I'm going to let him I'm gonna sag off. He can go ahead exactly. and chuck it up as long as Kawhi doesn't get this ball. Right. So I think that for sure him signing this contract is a, basically a product of the lack of confidence that he has in himself 100%. And I think that basically what's happening with him is a similar effect as what happened to Brandon Knight. Not saying that they're similar players, but if you remember, Brandon Knight was a guy when he came into the league that had a lot of upside and a lot of people thought might have success. And it seems that we don't, we don't even talk about him anymore because it seems that what happened was he totally lost his confidence because he was always on the wrong end of someone else's highlight. I don't know how many videos happened of him having his ankles broken in game winners, getting dogged in all-star games, the DeAndre Jordan dunk, which basically, I mean, that got turned into a viral meme. The guy's career was a meme, basically. And it seems like, I mean, in the day that we, in the day in society that we live, where you're surrounded by media and everything's all in your face, maybe when everywhere you look, it's just you being ridiculed. It's kind of hard to have confidence in yourself after that. Maybe you start questioning yourself. And I think that Paul George, like you said, after the highlight reel that he has witnessed other players have, conversely also seeing all the game-winning opportunities that he's had and missed, he's at this point now had the bad shot thing blow up in his face too where he told Damian Lillard, bad shot, ends up going in for a game-winner. I mean, had another bad postseason. The playoff P nickname follows him. I think maybe at this point he's just lost his juice and he's kind of hoping that Kawhi Leonard can carry them to the promised land and he can get by giving, I mean, above average contributions. I think that at this point he's basically just trying to secure his retirement. Well, Kawhi is going to awkwardly laugh as he waves goodbye to him with his claw as <laughs> Paul George leaves the Clippers if he doesn't pick it up next season. But with that, I think we're done with this episode. Definitely. Thank you guys for tuning in. Feel free to follow Courts of Opinion on Twitter. That's Courts with an S. For all the latest stats, rumors, and tune in next week. We'll have another good episode for you. You know we always got the best opinions. Yeah. Like us. Subscribe. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stern.